going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Got episode 43 coming at you guys today. Uh, kind of overview of the pod real quick, get a little NHL update, golf update, a little bit of college baseball, MLB. Got some March Madness, obviously, Elite Eight preview, and then we've got NFL free agency, frenzy, free agency frenzy, if I can speak today to wrap it up, and then obviously the ice bath. But kick off the episode, we're going to turn up the heat, and I'm going to let Brett kick it off today. Yeah, when I was thinking of this, um, and I came up with it earlier. I just My take was that Apple Music is better than Spotify. Uh, I think the interface is better. I think it's more user-friendly, um, and I think it just looks better overall. Um, I know it's not, you know, you don't have the podcasts and the music in one like you do on Spotify. Um, that'd probably be the only knock, but I do like having a separate podcast app um, for Apple, so I guess it's a plus for my preferences. Um, but I do like Apple Music because they do have a good bit more songs than Spotify. I think I've probably twice I've come across where I couldn't find a song on Spotify that was on Apple Music. So Normally, it won't bother you. I mean, all the popular songs that most people listen to are going to be on both of those, let alone many other platforms. Um, but yeah, I like Apple Music better. I think it just looks better. has a few more songs. And yeah, I mean, I could do without the all-in-one on the podcast. Um, like I said, I like having the two separate apps. All right. As a, as, a, as a Spotify convert, someone who had Apple Music that is now transitioned to Spotify, um, I'll give you that. I, I do think that the interface is a little bit better, um, a little bit, a little bit easier to navigate on Apple Music. That said, the reason that I switch is because you can only get Apple Music on Apple devices or like with the iTunes app on like a, like, a, like a Windows computer. So you, if you know if you don't have an iPhone with like you can't I can't listen to Apple Music in like on like I'm playing Xbox or whatever. I want to have music in the background. Harder to do that. It's easier to listen to music on like like I don't even know if you can get Apple Music for like a Roku TV or like a Fire Stick or whatever. Um, I think you can now, but you used to not be able to. And I think it's just overall it's a little more accessible across the board, in my opinion. Um, I do like having the spot of like the podcasts and the songs in the same app. I think that's I I like it, but again I, I do under I do I do agree that the Apple Music um, interface is probably a little better, but it's back-to-back weeks where I, I can't get on board with the hot takes to start the episode. Well, that's okay. It's a hot take for a reason. Hot take for a reason. You know what I mean? Um, you may not, I, you may, you might, you may not agree with mine today, but I think listen, we need a major sports team to have pink as a main or secondary, like a, like a main color in this game. Then that'd be like, you know, the main main color. But it's like one of the two main colors has got to be got to be pink. I think it could be fire. When you look at like Kansas State and TCU. You have like the light purple going on. It looks great. Like if you looked at all the K State, I mean, obviously people have seen K State's basketball units now more because you know Elite Eight bound. But um, you know that light purple looks pretty looks pretty fresh. I'm not gonna lie, it looks pretty good. So get a little pink action in there. Uh, maybe like a black to go with it, or um, like I think like, like a light blue, like almost like a cotton candy vibe, like a light blue and a pink could look good. Um, even like a even like a light yellow maybe uh, could also be fire. But listen, I'm not a graphic designist, graphic designer. It's not my thing. But I do think it would look sick. I think it look pretty fire. Um. So yeah, get get a major sport. Could be listen. It can be football, basketball, baseball. One of the three. But I just want to see a team, preferably an expansion team, a new team, that everyone can kind of root for. Um, to have pink and one of their main colors. I think it'd be cool. 
Yeah, I could see it. Um, I don't know about like a primary or secondary, maybe a, like an accent, like, um, you know, outline the numbers or some of the stitching and stuff like that. And it also depends on the shade, uh, but I could definitely get with it. I don't know if I do like a whole jersey that was that color, but I could get with it. You see what how fire those Miami Vice unis were for the, uh, well, A, the, what, didn't the, didn't the Marlins do something like that with uh, Miami, but the, I'm talking about the Heat jerseys, yeah, yeah. but those were fire. I thought those were sick. So, like, a little taste of what could be, but I just think, yeah, yeah make it work. For sure, yeah. I mean, it honestly depends, like, the culture of that team, I think. Like, let's say, like, a team from Wisconsin putting can- put pink, it would just kind of be a little weird. So, maybe maybe Florida is like, I'm with some, it. a better vibe. Fair, like, fair. I'm with it. Implement the pink. Um, have to be an ex- a fan base that would be accepting of pink as a color. Yeah. I don't know if the Packers fans would be all giddy about that, but you put it like in like a, like Miami's a great spot for. It. I think Miami's a everyone likes color in Miami. It's like a big like obviously the Heat did it and the Marlins have done it. Um, even like the Padres did it. I I like their super colorful uni. Their uh, city connected that Nike did for them. Like those were a hit. Yeah. Somewhere that's a little more um more of a colorful vibe. Uh, or or, or a team that already has like bright colors. You know, um like the Dolphins yeah. are obviously Miami, but like. Like I think the Jets are like not I guess New York could do it. Like some teams with bright colors there. Um definitely Los Angeles. I mean a lot of teams there with really like kind of vibrant colors. Um a sneaky one is like Charlotte. Like think about like the Hornets and and the um and the Panthers both have like that bright blue, that vibrant blue blue. Could look good with pink, I won't lie. So That's true. That is true. Um I guess that'll pretty much wrap it up. Uh start off the episode now we're going to jump into uh we got some nhl standings this week might be our final standings up there we might have one more uh, before playoffs kick off um but i'll run through the east real quick so in the eastern conference the top eight teams um starting at eight the pittsburgh penguins they're 35 26 and 10 and they are currently at 80 points which is 33 points back of the lead New York Islanders are in seventh. They're 37, 27, and eight at 82 points. Tampa Bay Lightning in sixth at 42, 24, and six at 90. New York Rangers at 41, 20, and 10, 92 points. Toronto Maple Leafs at 42, 19, and nine at 93 points. New Jersey Devils at 45, 18, and eight at 98 points. Carolina Hurricanes in second at 46, 15, and eight at 110 points, just three points back. Of the Boston Bruins, who are 53, 11, and 5, at 113 points, uh, by far, you know, I'd say the most well-rounded team. They're super hot. They've been a little cold as of late, and they're still, you know, at least three points ahead of every other team. Really, the Hurricanes are the only ones rivaling the Bruins for the top spot across the league. Yeah. Um. Again, similarly to how it's been, I mean, really the whole season. Um. Since we've been doing these rankings, you know, updates, we've seen a massive point spread differential between the, um, you know, the East and the West. Obviously, I don't know what it was a couple weeks ago. I think we can kind of skip the week um, to get some some other stuff in there for NFL free agency. But, um, you know, a 33 point difference here versus a an 11 point difference um, with the Jets sitting at 40, 29 and 3, 83 points, kind of at the bottom of the Western Conference um, versus the Penguins who were at 80. 
um, in the Eastern Conference. But um, like I said, Jets sitting there at the bottom of the conference with uh, 83 points. The Kraken next up at 39, 24, and 7, 85 points. Colorado Avalanche, 41, 23, and 6 at 88 points. The Oilers at 41, 23, and 8, 90 points. Um, the Wild at 41, 22, and 8, 90 points as well. So pretty close with the Oilers, um, just one loss better. The Stars at 38, 19, and 14 with 90 points. Also, the Kings in second place at 41, 20, and 10 with 92 points. And the Vegas Golden Knights, 44, 21, and 6 at 94 points in the lead in the Western Conference. But that would place them square in fourth in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, whereas the Jets, who were in eighth in the Western Conference, that would put them square at sixth in the Eastern Conference. So uh, 11 point spread versus 33 point spread is pretty crazy. Um, but, you know, it's kind of been that, been that way all year, um, been that way all kind of all these rankings updates that we've done. I've kind of followed this pattern. So um, not a lot of separation in the Western Conference, but certainly in the, in the Eastern Conference at the top for sure. Yeah, I think it's honestly similar to when we talk about the NBA. You know, one conference is a good bit more uh, spread out than the other. And I think the, the West is going to make for a really fun stretch, especially in the playoffs. You know, all these teams are going to be you know, someone will be a one seed, someone will be eight seed, but realistically, I mean, a few games go the other way and they could flop from a one to an eight. So it's it'll be really fun to watch uh, all those matchups down the stretch, obviously seven game series. Um, so it should be fun to see how those play out. The Stanley cup playoffs, those will begin on Monday, April 17th. So still about two and a half or three weeks away uh, from that NBA starts a little bit before I believe, um, that pretty much wraps it up for the NHL. Just to, you know, stayings update every other week until we get to the playoffs. We'll give some predictions and stuff like that. But as we turn to golf, so last weekend we had the Valspar Championship at the Innisbrook Resort Copperhead Course in Palm Harbor, Florida. Um, you know, there's a stretch of four or so holes on the back nine that are some of the hardest on the PGA Tour. I make for a really fun um, stretch to watch and just. You know, really tough challenge for all the players. Um, for this tourney, the purse was 8.1 mil, so a little bit smaller. And Taylor Moore, who is 29 years old, out of the University of Arkansas, he won the event at 10 under, taking home 1.458 million. And pretty solid payday for him. I don't think it was his first win. I think he's had a couple more before. Um, but definitely one of Arkansas's better golfers to go through there. And what was was a really good golf school. I mean, they currently have John Daly Jr. Um, coming up through there. So uh, normally one of the better schools and, you know, Taylor Moore being one of the better talents uh, gets a really nice one on the PGA tour and a nice payday as well. I don't doubt. Um, I believe I looked the other day cause I was curious, obviously techs. Um, I think they're ranked number two right now. They open the season. I think in the, in the top five um, for golf rankings. And I believe Arkansas is fairly highly ranked at the moment. Um, if I can recall where they were, I believe, I know they're ranked top 25. I just don't remember where, um, when I was glancing at the other day, but um, they always seem to have just a quality golf team. They never seem to be, um, you know, bad, but never seem to be like, you know, an elite top five team. But again, they just seem to have a really steady golf program over there. But uh, yesterday, the Dell match play teed off in Austin, Texas at the West weekend at the Austin Country Club uh, bracket style tournament. And will conclude on Sunday. It's a little different with five rounds of golf tournament style. Um, but nonetheless, match play is always super fun to watch. Um, I think people, I think like casual golf fans enjoy match play a little bit more. I think it's a little more, um, I want to say faster paced because they're still playing golf, but it's a little more high octane, if you will, I think, which is with tournament style. I think people just gravitate towards that a little bit more um, than like regular, um, just, you know, four round regular golf play. Um, but 
nonetheless, um, match play is a really cool event in Austin. Um, Austin Country Club is really nice. Right out there on the water in Lake Austin. Um, so always, always a good time. Always uh, some really good scenes from the match play. And hopefully we get some good golf the next, uh, what, three days we have left? Yeah. Um, I know Scotty Shuffler's 2-0 and so far through two days. John Rahm lost his opening match to Ricky Fowler. Uh, Rahm was, you know, the second best odds to win it all. Obviously, he's now facing a bit of an uphill battle to get to that point. Um, but yeah, really fun event. Saw Jordan Spieth had a couple really good shots today. Um, yeah, I like this. I like match play. Um, you know, the difference between match and stroke play, obviously. Stroke play, you have 72 holes over four rounds, and everyone has a cumulative score. And match play, if you shoot better than the other person, then you're one up on them. And, like, for instance, if you're five up with four holes to left, and that four holes left, then that's it. So, because they can't come back with only four holes. Um, so it's not it has nothing to do with the score you recorded on the hole. It all depends on how you did compared to your opponent. It's one v one, so it makes for a really fun time. I think you can stay in it a lot easier. But also, if you lose a few holes in your row, you're in a really deep hole, um, and you know put yourself in a tough battle to win that round. So it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, pretty different. I think there's only two match play events um, on the year. This is the last year uh, that the World Golf Championship match play will be held in Austin. It's going to move to somewhere else next year. Someone else is going to sponsor it. Uh, I don't know where yet, but I guess it's to be announced relatively soon since it's going to be on the next year's schedule. Um, as we look forward to next weekend, we have the Valero Texas Open. That's down in San Antonio at the TPC San Antonio Oaks course. Uh, they have two courses there, both really nice. Um J.J. Spawn won that, won that event last season. Um, I'm not sure who's going to win it this season. I don't know if he's going to be um, in the field this week. I'm not sure. But, yeah, one of the more fun events, that, a course that you can play just by, you know, staying at a Marriott, you get free memberships. Otherwise, it's a membership course. Um, I definitely want to make the trip down there and play both courses uh, at some point soon. Um, yeah, I mean, they always play the Dell right before Valero get that texas stretch in and then obviously after the valero you have the masters so um, a lot of people don't play the valero most of the time just you know they head to augusta early and get some prepping on the course and stuff like that so you'll probably see you know more so of a lackluster field next week in san antonio than you would for a normal event because all those people are going to be prepping for the masters so um while it is still a fun event with a big purse um it probably won't have, you know, all the marquee names that you're used to. Um, but, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up for golf. Just give a little update on, you know, last weekend, this weekend, and next weekend. I will say real quick, while we're on the topic of golf and the Masters, we all know, so, what, Scotty won, not Scotty, I'm sorry. We were talking about Scotty Shepard earlier. Um, Jordan Spieth obviously won the Masters, what, now three or four years ago now? What was it, 20... It may have been 2017. I guess it, I guess, I mean, time is going by way too fast, but know. he always seems to play well around Easter weekend and it's going to, Masters is going to fall on Easter weekend this year. And all I'm saying is I might throw some money on Jordan Spieth plus 1800 to win the Masters. I mean, odds are never good. Like, like the best odds are John Robbins, Scotty Shelter, both tied at plus 750. So like, you know, those are, you know, two top golfers right now, but like, Spieth at plus 1,800, a guy who is 
seems to always play well at that turn at that course in Augusta. And then it's Easter weekend. Guy seems to play well on Easter weekend. All I'm saying is not bad odds to throw out there if you're going to throw 10 bucks on the bet. Obviously, we can't sports bet in Texas, but if you if you can partake in sports betting, I'm going to throw, I'm gonna throw like 10, 20 bucks on uh, Jordan Spieth plus 1,800 to win the Masters. Yeah, I wouldn't mind it. Um, I, I already said Rory last week, so I'm sticking with it. Sure. Um, but I mean, he's, like I he's said, plus Rory, 800, by the way, just in case he was plus 800, yeah, just in case you're one. I figured he was probably top three uh, odds around there. But in terms of Jordan Spieth, um, he did win the Masters in 2015 and God, the U.S. Been a Open time, in 2015, uh, back when he was 21. So that was kind of, you know, when he bust, busted onto the scene and, you know, he kind of took the world by storm when he was winning all these events, you know, taking wins from Tiger back when Tiger was playing a little better. Um, obviously not like what he was in the early 2000s, but, you know, he was kind of dug to the next Tiger for a little bit. Um, obviously has plateaued a little bit since then in his win. It does not, rate, it does not feel like, doesn't feel like that long ago, dude. That's crazy. I don't know. It really doesn't. Um, what I like though is you don't really ever see someone repeat um, at Augusta. It's yeah. always someone new. Just with how loaded the field is, you're never going to see someone win it back to back years. Um, but that's pretty much it. We'll have a you know a little better Masters preview probably next week as it's going to be you know upcoming. But college baseball, we haven't touched on it this season. Uh, we're going to be, be we're going to begin covering that on episode 45 in a couple weeks once March Madness has concluded because it's right now. With the NFL, with March Madness, with, you know, golf and with NBA and NHL playoffs heating up soon. Um, with college baseball, I will say, um, Texas Tech did take two of three from Oklahoma State. This weekend moved up from uh, 22 to 14 in the rankings. Uh, overall, pretty good weekend. Saturday was a little disappointing. Uh, they walked it off on Friday. Yeah. Uh, what was kind of a sloppy game until the last few innings, but nonetheless, a series win, a uh, good bit of national recognition, which is good. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. We'll cover that in a couple weeks. Uh, we do have a March Madness segment here that we'll get to in a second, but that's pretty much it in terms of college baseball, just giving you a little bit of an update, and we'll get into a little more in depth in a couple weeks. I will say, Bush League ejection and suspension for Brandon Beckel. Terrible. Terrible. He uh, He's walking off the mound. Innings over. He's not going to pitch again the rest of the game. And he chirps a little bit to the Columbus State dugout after the whole weekend. They've been getting chirped all weekend. There were some words exchanged between what appeared to be an Oklahoma State assistant, Tim Tadlock, who, for those that know Tim Tadlock in Texas Tech baseball, maybe the least animated coach in college baseball, right? I mean, the guy's super level headed, super calm. Um, you know, clearly wasn't happy. Um, and, you know, listen, it's a rival. It's, it's, well, I don't know if it's a rivalry if you win, what, like 16 of the last 20 or whatever it is, something like that. Um, some, it's something some like crazy that. status. I like, think it's, it's 16 of 18. That's right. It, listen, when you win that many, I don't know if it's a rivalry right now, but it's two teams that are always kind of seem to get pretty chippy when they play each other. Obviously, last year in Stillwater um, got pretty chippy between the Red Raiders and the Cowboys. Um, same thing here in Lubbock this week. Um, but... Texas Tech certainly got the last laugh with a, a 12 to 1 run rule victory on Sunday afternoon. But uh, that kind of wraps up college baseball. Like you said, we'll definitely get some more in depth coverage, um, especially once March, March Madness kind of concludes and we get a little more free time on the pod to talk about it. But 
Um, so similarly, with, similarly, I can't talk to you. Similarly with the MLB, um, being covering that a little more in depth next week on episode 44, since opening day is next Thursday, March 30th, which I'm super excited about and you're super excited about. Um, obviously give some predictions for the season. Um, you know, awards versus, you know, stat leaders and how teams perform in each division and um, yada, yada, yada. We'll get all that stuff going for you guys next week. Um, and then another kind of topic um, in the MLB world, uh, Japan defeated the U.S. in the World Baseball Classic final last night. Um, it was an epic game. Um, was it Trout versus Otani to end the game? So um, couldn't have asked for a better matchup. Um, awesome story for Japan. Awesome story for Shohei Otani. Um, it was a great game and, and an awesome World Baseball Classic for sure. Definitely, yeah. I watched the last five innings. I want to say definitely a fun game. Uh, pretty close, you know, the whole game. Um, but yeah, Otani coming on to close in the ninth. Not a normal scenario for him. I didn't know if he was gonna, you know, perform like he normally does because he's normally, a, you know, a starter, not a one inning relief guy. So, nonetheless, he did get the save, and I guess you can call it the world championship, even though a lot of the teams don't have a lot of their best guys technically playing. I know the U.S. did for the most part, but you look at Mexico and Cuba, and they didn't have a lot of guys playing. Randy Rosarena is supposed to be playing for Cuba, but he said some stuff about Cuba, so he can't play for Cuba, so he plays for Mexico. So, it's like these guys are playing for their countries most of the time, but, I mean, ultimately... It just comes down to who's going to play the best with the roster that they have. And it is a fun environment, you know, a lot different from normal baseball. Uh, honestly, kind of like a World Series atmosphere for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it last time they had it. Always fun. Uh, gets a good bit of attention for the game of baseball. Um, you know, a good bit of support for the country and stuff like that. But yeah, close game. I wish U.S. came out on top, but nonetheless, um, you know, Japan played pretty well. U.S. just really couldn't hit for the whole game, and that's pretty much what it came down to overall. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, I'm glad it was a fun final, a fun World Baseball Classic as a whole. Glad there weren't, weren't many blowouts and, you know, games that were over pretty early after the pool play. Yeah, I, I will say for the U.S., like, I think, I think that we saw this kind of especially late um, – you know, in the tournament, especially like when they played Venezuela in a what a nine to seven ball game, um, you know, a lot of runs scored there. The U.S. you know, most of the best American hitters were playing. Although, like Freddie Freeman played for Team Canada, um, you know, he could have gone with gone the other guy either way. Um, you know, but most guys who were going to play for Team USA were 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 playing for, and, and hitting for them. But I will say the pitching, um, probably one of the weaker pitching starting pitching rotations in the tournament obviously the dr had um really loaded roster overall obviously sandy alcantara um julio arias pitched for mexico obviously Shohei pitched for japan you darvish pitched for japan um you know japan probably had the best pitching in the whole tournament um definitely throughout the whole thing um so there's i think a little bit lackluster pitching for the u.s i hope that you know um you know i, I get why pitchers do opt out i i get it um it's a whole lot more risky for them to go do it than it is for, um, you know, for hitters to go do it. Obviously, it can be freak injuries, but just getting those extra pitches on your arm. You know, I know I know Clayton Kershaw was set to do it and ended up pulling out, um, I believe, in January. After going over it with his coaches, his personal training staff and the Dodgers training staff and made the collective decision that was probably best for him not to do it um, just with his arm. And you know, at this point in his career, I think uh, similar guys and the similar thought processes for guys like Justin Verlander 
uh, Max Scherzer, who, you know, contemplated but decided maybe not with the arm. Obviously, DeGrom shut down in spring training, so he was never going to do it. But again, another guy who could have been on, on the roster to pitch for them um, and, and, and just opted not to. Um, Nicky Lacrosse, just Major League Baseball, Spencer Strider could have pitched for him, chose not to. So I think he saw a lot of um, the upper echelon um, American pitchers opt not to pitch, um, which is fine. Again, I get it 100%. Um, but at the same time, it would have been cool to see um, kind of them at full strength with um, just just for the whole the whole tournament. I think that, I think it would be cool for all teams to be at full strength, obviously. Um, but like you said, nonetheless, it was an awesome tournament. Two two awesome semifinals. Obviously, Japan um, walks it off the day before the, the final, and obviously the U.S. Uh, with Trey Turner's grand slam at the top of the eighth inning um, to put them up nine to or bottom of the eighth inning to put them up nine to seven against Venezuela. So awesome World Baseball Classic. I think they brought a lot of a lot of eyes to baseball, which is always great. Um, you know, the game is not necessarily in a growing phase right now. And I think that World Baseball Classic did some awesome things for the game of baseball as a whole. So I'm really excited about that going forward. And um, hopefully, obviously, they're probably not going to make it more a more often thing. But, um, you know, hopefully we see a similar turnout for the Olympics in 2024. Yeah, for sure. That'll be fun to watch as well. Um, kind of on a bigger stage uh, as a whole. Um, you know, obviously, I think the entire – Baseball Classic was played in Florida. Most of the games seemed like were played in Miami. Um, yeah. But I guess that's pretty much it for baseball. Like I said, uh, starting next week when opening day uh, kicks off, we'll cover it with some, you know, predictions and stuff like that. And then we got March Madness to talk about. So haven't covered it up to this point, but it did kick off last week, a week ago today. And we are recording this uh, late Thursday night. So. We have had a couple games conclude. We still have two games going on. First game on today's slate was the seven-seed Michigan State against the three-seed Kansas State. That was a really fun game to watch. Uh, Kansas State won 98-93 to in overtime. You know, high, really high-scoring game, obviously. Marquise Noel, he had a great game for Kansas State, the point guard. Um, he had 19 assists. And that's the most ever in an NCAA tournament game since assists became official in 1984. He passed UNLV's Mark Wade. He had 18 assists in the 1987 national semifinals, um, you know, also known as the Final Four. Um, but to go with that, Noel also had 20 points. So almost a 2020 game in college is incredible. Um, I mean, like I just said, you hardly ever see it. And for him to do that, you know, in a Sweet 16 game was huge. Um, but Kansas State was the first team to advance to the Elite Eight. They're awaiting the winner of Florida Atlantic and Tennessee, which is going on right now. Um, I mean, I think Tennessee's probably going to win that game, but I think Kansas State should beat Tennessee uh, if Tennessee does end up winning today. I mean, without looking right now, I think Kansas State's going to be a Final Four team. Yeah, I mean, 20 and 19, obviously, I mean, the last two points came on that, you know, a huge deal. Um, to kind of close the game and took it coast to coast and um, up and under layup, uh, which was, uh, but again, dude, 19 assists is absolutely wild. Um, in a college game as a whole is crazy, but in a tournament game is even on another level. Um, him and Keontae Johnson had an awesome alley-oop play late in overtime. Um, that was super, and it's under a minute left. Um, that Johnson had 22 points, you know, continues his awesome season and just the, the remarkable story that he is. Um, you know, collapsing on the floor uh, for the Florida Gators in 2020 as a star freshman. Um, you know, totally probably not going to play basketball again. 
kind of has to medically rehab and then, you know, turns down $5 million in insurance money from the NCAA, bets on himself, goes to Kansas State this year with a brand new head coach after they were dead last in the Big 12 last year and, um, you know, puts himself in a prime position to be one of the best players in the whole tournament and um, certainly playing like it right now, obviously, for their three games. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that they go to the Final Four. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for them all the way right now. Um, of all the teams left, that there's a team I want to see win it. Them or, I guess, Princeton, just because they're the, the 15 seed. Um, but, no, man, I'm pulling for Kansas State, pulling for Keontae Johnson and those guys. Um, really like Jerome Tang, what he's doing there. I think it's a great story how he turned the program around. Um, and it was an all, all-time classic game. I know it was a five-point game to end it, but um, really more like a three-point game. Um, you know, it was a tight game all the way through. It seemed like I know Kansas State got their lead up to, like, what, nine, but I believe that was short-lived. Um Obviously, going to overtime and being tight the whole time was awesome. So, all-timer up there in uh, Madison Square Garden tonight in the first Sweet 16 game, which I hope is is what is a sign of things to come. Um, you know, certainly was not a sign of things to come. In the second game we had concluded, which was Arkansas and UConn, where UConn won 88-65. Um, I mean, they, dude, they were up like 62-35 to 35 at one point. Um, and I was like, man, that's, that's not close. Like, I, I, you know, I, I obviously I was watching on the March Madness Live app. Um, on my TV, and then I, you know, I go to one well, case games. I go, I'm gonna flip to the UConn game. That it was, it's like I'm not even gonna turn it on. I'm gonna go start the pod here in a second because <laughs> I'm not even gonna check up on it because it was such a blowout. Um, I think I, t- I think I texted somebody this. I think UConn's one of the best fours in recent history, um, recent memory. They're they were awesome this year. I mean, they were a top ten team for you know most of the season late. Um, I believe they, you know, an early exit in, in the Big East tournament kind of um, they got bounced early and kind of hurt their ranking a little bit. But I mean, do they? They were really good for um, they proved it tonight against a really solid Arkansas squad that obviously beat, um, you know, one seed Kansas. So um, I believe they await the winner of do they await the Gonzaga UCLA winner. Or yep. do they have, They're going to play the winner of Gonzaga UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, so that should be a great game between them and whoever wins this, this game. I think the UCLA Gonzaga game should be great. I'm, I think I'm pulling for UCLA. Um, y'all know me, LA guy. Um, but I'm hoping the next that you know the FAU Tennessee and then the Gonzaga UCLA games are great tonight. And then obviously tomorrow's games a full slate of five, or four games as well. Hope those are really good too. Um, you know probably none will live up to the to the game we the first game we had at the Sweet 16. But um, you know hopefully it's a sign of things to come. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know obviously after tonight we'll have four of the eight Sweet 16 games concluded. We'll have two of the four Elite Eight matchups finalized. Uh, both of those will be next Saturday or this Saturday in a couple of days. Uh, but tomorrow we have number five, San Diego versus number one, Alabama. We have number five, Miami versus number one, Houston. Number 15, Princeton versus number six, Creighton. Number three, Xavier versus number two, Texas to round out the night. So honestly, um, four matchups tomorrow that I don't think will be as close as, you know, a couple games we'll see today. I think Gonzaga-UCLA should be close. A rematch of the Final Four a couple years ago, back when Baylor uh, won it all. But tomorrow I think... Texas should win the the night game. Princeton and Creighton, I think that'll be pretty close. And I'm picking Houston and Bama, you know, the other two games. Um, honestly, could see Princeton beating Creighton. Creighton's been super up and down this season. And they yeah. started hot, had a long, cold stretch, and won a few games to close out the season. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Princeton did make it to the Elite Eight. I'd love to see it. I think. Um... I'll probably take Bama. I think San Diego State looked a little looked a little uh you know dicey early on a couple of their first their first two games. 
Gonna take Miami in the upset versus Houston. I just think I don't think both ones are gonna win. I think um, you know Houston got given a game um, both their last two games, so I think uh, Miami playing the role of the underdog. I think they're gonna come in um, in a Houston team that I, I don't know how battle tested they really. Not that I'm saying Miami is, but um, you know they played a little more higher talent level um, later in the year in the ACC than what Houston saw in the American Conference. So um, take Miami in the upset. Um, I'll take I'll take Princeton. I mean, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna rob the 15 seed. I don't think they're I don't realistically they probably don't win. I think this Creighton team, they're the big thing they have is is tournament experience. They've got a lot of guys in the team that have played in tournament games, um, which is big, especially against a Princeton team that you know hasn't. So, um, but like you said, they've been up and down all year. When they went into the year as a top 10 team, favored to be you know a two or a three seed and um, you know win the Big East, and obviously they did not live up to those high seated expectations, but nonetheless, they're still a really solid team. And then Xavier, Texas, I think I'm going to take Texas. I mean, Xavier should have lost round one to Kennesaw state. So um, give me Texas in, a, in what's the largest margin of victory of the, of the evening. And then I um, guess that would set up, uh, I'll take Tennessee and UCLA in the games tonight. So I guess that sets up what K state versus Tennessee, UConn versus UCLA, Bama versus Princeton. Good Lord. And Miami versus Texas. Um, at which point I would probably go K-State over Tennessee. I'd go UConn over UCLA. I would go Bama over Princeton, and I would go Texas over Miami. It's a double nice yeah, like um, yeah, from the remaining seeds, um, obviously we still have to see what happens tomorrow uh, for an official Elite Eight matchup. But I'm going K-State. I'll go... I'll go UConn, K-State, UConn, um, and then on the other half, I will go Bama, and I want to say Texas. I might they Texas. look, they look so good right now. That that's my thing. Like they look like they look like maybe they're playing like one of the best teams in the country. I mean, obviously there are two, so like clearly they're a top eight team, but like. They're playing like one, like maybe the best team in the country right now. They look real. Them and Bama look really good. Yeah, I don't know who I pick between Houston and Texas. Um, we'll see what it looks like. You know, if they do end up being the two teams winning after tomorrow's games conclude. Um, but that's pretty much it for March Madness. Not a whole lot um, going on in college basketball outside of the tournament. Obviously, a couple coaching hires. Um, you know, and fires. Uh, Texas Tech has not hired their next head coach yet officially. Um, you know, when that happens, maybe we'll touch on it a little bit. But um, nothing yet. So that pretty much wraps that up. I guess all we got left is the uh, NFL. We did have a good bit of stuff happen, you know, within a couple of days after our last episode. It seems like that's normally the case. Um, I guess take it off here with Aaron Rodgers. No update since we last recorded. Um, you know, the Jets and Packers. Said they haven't talked a lot recently. Um, we'll get to the Jets in a minute. But I do think the Jets are better suited to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers now. I think I'd say pick 42 and 13 for Rodgers and 15 would be a really good deal. Um, I know I also saw someone mention offering a 2024 first for Rodgers. Um, but yeah, I think the Jets are going to want a first this year regardless. But I do think. 13 and 42 for 15 and Rodgers would be a good deal. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I'll be frank. There's if I was Joe Douglas and more importantly, Woody Johnson, the owner, I got there's no chance I'm moving a, a first round pick for Aaron, for Aaron Rodgers. I, I listen. I get he's a two time MVP and he won. You know, I guess he's a three time MVP or four time, and he's coming off of two. But like, he's 39 years old. He was 90 percent gonna retire. Who knows how much truth there? I'm not think he's just lying about it. Is he embellishing? Maybe a little bit. So call it eight, at a minimum 80 percent you know, wanting to retire. I'm not moving a first round pick for him because because I don't think that the Jets are like right now like a quarterback away from a Super Bowl. Doesn't mean that they can't go win one with Rodgers, but like they're not. It's listen. It's not like it's not like you're putting him. It's like you're dropping him in like a Philadelphia situation where it's like, dude, that team, that li- or like a San Fran. It's not like he's going to San Francisco where it's like, man, that immediately becomes the best team in the league because they have they have the, arguably the best defense in football with one of the best skill rooms. It's like, man, that, that's that's a team that's a quarterback away from being the best team in the league and one of the best rosters assembled in the last ten years. I think the Jets are really good and and they're at, at, right like honestly, if, depending on how the Jets draft, they make a good pick at thirteen and. They draft well in round two and round three, obviously. And depending on what Buffalo and Miami do, I might be picking the Jets to win the division. I mean, they've got a legitimate wide receiver, one in Garrett Wilson, that something Rodgers didn't have this year. He's going to have a, a better line, hopefully a healthier line than what he had in Green Bay for his sake. Um, and they've got and they've got a really really solid culture there. Does the defense need a little bit of work? Sure, but I think the defense is solid. They have a, a shutdown corner. Um, they could probably afford to add another, you know, an edge pass rusher in maybe round two and what's a pretty deep class, I think. So, um, but there's no way I'm trading a, a first for him. If anything, it's going to be a conditional first. This is like, hey, if I get, if we, like I said before, if we win, you know, if we reach, reach X number of wins or we, we reach X point in the playoffs, okay, it can be a 24 first. But like, if Rogers gets hurt, if Rogers, you know, Midseason's like, hey guys, I'm retiring after this year. Like, they're not getting a, fir- a first round pick next year for it's a one year rental maybe. So, um, I just I can't get behind it. A first round pick is far too valuable in the NFL, especially with that fifth year option, um, especially on what I think is going to be an offensive tackle for them. Like, those are those are valuable to have fifth year options on. So, um, yeah, I just I don't see it. Um, I do like the the 13 and 15 swap. I do like that. I think that that allows Green Bay to get ahead of a team like New England who has some similar needs, obviously along the offensive line, potentially, you know, uh, along the front seven. So I do like that swap. Um, I think that's good for them. I do think that the third or the second round pick that they got in exchange for Elijah Moore, I was giving up a third, but getting that tw- that second round pick at 42 is going to help them either A, get Rodgers or B. Um, if it doesn't go into Rodgers, maybe they trade it away next year. Like say they want to say they move a two next year and, you know, something else. And they don't move, they don't move either of those twos. Maybe they go trade it back to recoup some value or maybe they, maybe they shoot, maybe they package it up and go get up and get another first round pick. I mean, they, we saw him do it with, with Jermaine Johnson. So if there's a guy who, Hey, if he falls past X pick, we're going to go up and get him. That's another move they could make. So um curious to see where this lands. Curious to see if green Bay tries to get Denzel Mims in return um, it's obviously a crowded room. Obviously, they dealt Elijah Moore to the Browns, which helps. But again, that that that's still a crowded room in a room that I think Denzel Mims could exit and depart and go to Green Bay and have 
immediately have a, have a role in Green Bay as a starter. Um, if not at a minimum, a wide receiver four there. So um, it would it would fill a need for Green Bay. I think it would work. I think it's a, it's a quality player. So I'm curious to see how that deal kind of shakes itself out. But um, certainly it continues to be this Hublink's first match between the Packers and the Jets front offices at the moment. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to ultimately take to get it done. But, I mean, if it didn't happen, I guess Rodgers would just retire. I mean, I don't think there's any other options, really. Well, um, and that's that's kind of my thing for Green Bay is, like, that. that's why they don't hold all the – like, people that say, like, oh, they hold all the leverage or the Jets. It's somewhere – like, we lie – I think this is most things. We lie somewhere in the middle. So we're somewhere in the weeds here, right? Like, we're not on either side of this. We're somewhere kind of smack in the middle. And I think that, A, in the Jets' favor, is, like, they got to get done by the draft because – if I'm the Packers, I have to get some sort of capital this year for him to help Jordan Love. And two, they don't move him. It's like, you going to get nothing for him? So, they, well, I get that the Packers do have some like, hey, we're just going to hold on to him and you guys don't get him. Fine. We'll, we'll, we'll play petty. But at the same time, like, they do need to get him moved. Um, I mean, the de- the deadline's the 27th, right? It's got to be. has to be to me. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know what it is. Like I said, um, it'll be interesting to see what it ultimately takes to move Rodgers. Um, I don't think really anyone has a firm idea on what it will be. But we did have a good bit of news otherwise this week. Um, the Texans left tackle, Laramie Tunsil. He redid his deal with Houston, and it's now a three-year, $75 million deal. $50 million of that is fully guaranteed, $60 million in total guarantees. So obviously... Um, if he does get injured and not play, he's not going to get 60. He's going to get 50. Um, however, if he stays healthy, then he will get the 60 of the 75 guaranteed. So uh, pretty big deal there. Uh, biggest deal ever for offensive linemen. And I don't get it a whole lot because he was already making the most. So I don't really get the point of this deal. Nonetheless, um, I'm sure he's happy. I'm sure, you know, the Texans are happy to have him. I don't think it was a good business deal, but I mean, I guess, I guess they're happy to keep him around. I mean, I don't know if I would have done it. They, like, like we said, traded for Shaq Mason. So they do have a couple offensive linemen, but outside of that, they needed to build rather than put all their money into one guy. Personally, I love the move, dude. I, I don't know how they could draft a quarterback at, two and then let laramie tunsil walk like that that you're just especially if it, uh, listen it, it looks like it's gonna be bryce like obviously it, it like it could very well be cj but the odds are heavily favoring cj to go one um obviously a lot can change between now and the 27th but it's like if it's gonna be bryce they've got to have a great offensive line in front of him with his with his size that that's the one knock is the frame and the worry about injury I'm gonna give Brandon. I'm gonna give uh, Lamry Tunsil all the money in the world right now. It's three years. It's within the scope of my rookie quarterback contract. I have extra cash to spend, and theoretically they're gonna get a receiver, probably a receiver or an edge rusher at 12. So it's like that's another premium position that I'm not gonna have to pay. Not to mention corner with Stingley. So it's like uh, this is something I can get behind. Um, where it's like, hey, they they had they had to do this. They I get that it's 25 a year and it's a lot of money, um, but he's arguably the best left tackle in football right now. Um, he's definitely top five, and 
I think with the demand that Houston was faced was faced with was hey hey our alternative is not have a left tackle for our rookie quarterback especially if it's a guy who's going to play at sub 190. I don't like my alternatives. You know what I mean? Like, I don't I don't like trying to replace him. As much as I like this tackle class, I'm not I'm not guaranteed one at 12. Frankly, I'm not because I think that one could go. I mean, worst case scenario for the Texans if they if they let Tunsil go, tackles go 9 10 11 to to the Bears um the pan, the, the Bears, the Eagles and, and the Titans. Whether the Eagles take one or not or they move back, I don't know. But that's I mean that could legitimately happen. Or maybe it's maybe it's, you know, Paris goes nine, Skaronsky goes ten to the Eagles to play tackle, guard, whatever. He's plays offensive line for them, and then Broderick Jones goes eleven to the Texans or the Titans, and you're like, Well, man, I'm SOL now. I am gonna reach for Anton Harrison at seventeen, who I like as a prospect, but he's not worth a twelfth twelfth overall pick. Or do I you know, I can't play Darnell Wright on the on the on the left side. So it's the alternative was much worse, and I think that again this had to get done for the sake of the rookie quarterback, in my opinion, at least. But I get what you're saying. It's a lot of money to put in one guy. It's a lot of money. 25 a year is a lot of money, and I get that. But the guarantees probably make this deal reworkable in two years. So I think think that that's kind of the saving grace here. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We got a good bit of other stuff to go down. Um, Yep. Just a little bit after the Texans, you know, redid the deal with Tunsil, uh, they traded Brandon Cooks. Finally, Cooks was traded. Um, you know, wide receiver has been numerous different teams. Um, he was traded to Dallas. Um, Dallas sent Houston a 2023 fifth, which is the 161st overall pick, and a 2024 sixth in return for Cooks. So. You know, Dallas did need another receiver. Uh, I didn't think it would be Cooks. But nonetheless, they do have CD and Cooks and someone else that I'm forgetting. Um, obviously, Dante Turpin and Gallup. Um, yeah. So, you know, not a bad wide receiver room. Probably could use another piece. But they got to figure out the contract. Uh, reworking it, I don't know if it was reworked already. But nonetheless, something that should be done. Yeah. I don't think it takes – receiver off the board for them at 26 potentially i don't think they're going to take a receiver but it, i mean if they wanted to i don't think it takes like i, I don't think it takes odell off the board for them just because it's like odell's probably a cheap deal and they like you said they could use another legit body in there uh, i think cooks is probably going to just fill the deep threat role to kind of free up cd to kind of attack the middle of the field where he's at his best um but I like the move overall. I mean, it's cheap. It's 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 better than what you're getting for like they're in win now mode, so it's better than what you're going to get for those two picks. So, um, you know, I like the move for the Cowboys. Kind of knock out two birds with one stone here. Um, Steelers signed former Eagles offensive lineman Isaac Sayamalo. I think is how you say his name. He's got a tough last name to pronounce. At three years, twenty-four million dollars, and then the, to a similar contract, the uh, Panthers signed former All Pro or Pro Bowl. I don't think he's an All Pro, but Pro former Pro Bowl Vikings receiver. Adam Thielen do a three-year, $25 million deal with $14 million guaranteed. Um, I'll start with the Steelers' move to get uh, Isaac, my boy, from Philly. Uh, I believe he played right guard for them last year. Um, it's a solid move for them. They needed to get a guard. I think this takes interior off their board um, You know, later in the draft. Obviously, I don't think they're going to take us to Ars Torrance at 17. I think that was a little bit rich for me. Even though he is guard one, um, I think there just was other better options there with the cloud, the way kind of the way the board's probably going to fall for them. 
Um, but I think it takes it off their board later in the draft. Like they don't have to go draft a Steve Avila in round two or round three, um, whereas they can kind of sit and pick with value. Um, and what they think is kind of suits that the what the board best suits for them at the time. Um, and then this Panthers move getting Thiel, and I, I I love it. I mean, it's you're not over. It's what just over eight million. It's eight point three three million a year. Um, for a guy who his best ball is behind him, but I mean, I would bet on them drafting a receiver in the second round this year. I, who it is? I think Josh Downs would be a great fit for this team, especially if they're going to get CJ. He 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 thrives with with dominant slot receivers, and that's what Downs is going to be. And I think Downs is going to be in their range, drafting at what like forty or thirty nine is their pick, I think. For who? Early, early late thirties. It sounds is right. Something like that. Um, because they or no 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 they kept. They no, they kept. They had two. They kept their the higher pick. They traded. Right, thirty nine is Carolina. They tra- What's that? Thirty nine is Carolina. Thirty nine. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because I know they had the pick from San Fran that they moved to Chicago, but they kept the higher one. I think they're drafting a receiver there. Um, me personally, but I think feeling getting getting that number with with, the, with a young room of receivers. Um, still a guy who's a third down beast. I think. Um, you know, for a rookie quarterback, it's big. Especially if it's a guy, whether it's Bryce or CJ, again, I don't know. But again, I think both those quarterbacks um, could benefit from having a receiver like Thielen in the room uh, from day one. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, trading DJ Moore put a massive hole on the Panthers roster. Um, ultimately, going to get him, Thielen, what was a pretty good deal, I thought. Um, I think it's reworkable. I don't remember what the year one cap number was. I want to say it was front loaded, but I'm not positive. They they probably did. They had a lot of money to spend. They they probably front loaded the guarantees in the first two years um, yeah, to make him cut in twenty five. Um, but nonetheless, a good signing there for a pretty good price. Um, like you said, I do think they take a receiver in the draft, probably first three rounds. Obviously, doesn't look like they're going to go receiver in the first. Obviously, a lot can change. I hope not. A lot can change. <laughs> um, but as it stands right now, with them. Having the first overall pick, they won't be taking a receiver. 39, uh, you probably take a receiver there. They, they traded 61, I believe it was, to the Bears. Uh, I think 39. I will say, don't count out a trade a trade up at the back end of the first for them. Like, think about, like, Philly loves to move down from, like, they would love to move down from 30. Like, say Quentin Johnson or Addison or Flowers, one of those, because I think, I think JSN's locked to go top 20. Um, one of those f- three guys of Johnston, Addison, or or Flowers falls. Shoot, even Jalen Hyatt. One of those guys falls to him at you know at thirty, and the Eagles are sitting there going, "Man, like we don't want a receiver. We we feel comfortable moving back to thirty nine. Shoot, I could see Carolina. What's one more future pick to get? What's what's a future third to give up, or a future fourth to give up to get a legitimate receiver?" That I think is better than a guy like Josh Downs. I just I wonder if that's a, in play for them potentially, and I wouldn't rule it out. Um, you know, we've seen them be aggressive in the past. Obviously, with this move, right? You know, getting up to one, so um, wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't rule out a move up back into the back end of the first. Um, you know, like twenty-eight to thirty-one, um, essentially. Yeah, I could see it. Um, obviously, I think there's going to be a lot of teams wanting to get into the first round. I don't know if they will. Um, because teams do all the picks uh, at the end of the first, and they might want to use them themselves. But definitely an option there. Um, and then the Steelers signing Sam Alu, I think, is a good deal at eight a year. 
uh, should be productive for them. I do know Steelers fans really like tackles in the first round. And while I don't think be. there's going to be one there for them, uh, I do think they could trade up a few spots and take one if one of the big three guys um, are left, you know, two or three picks away from them. So they could definitely take a tackle in the first round this year. I don't know if they will. They could also take a receiver. Uh, they could use one. Obviously, they used a second last year on pickings, but they could take a receiver here um, to help pick it a little bit or tackle. But I think definitely one of those. Um, I'd be leaning towards tackle if I was a Steelers fan. Just kind of bolster the O line. It was you know not great. You know Villanueva left, Pouncey retired, um, and someone else I'm forgetting about that left. So definitely need to re up on the O-line uh, being a strength. I think that's going to be really imperative, especially for a young quarterback. But another move that went down, um, you know, finally we saw C.J. Gardner-Johnson sign with the team, and it was the Detroit Lions. Signed a one-year $8 million deal. Six and a half of that is guaranteed. Uh, thought it was a little cheap. I thought, you know, maybe he could have signed for 12 around there. Uh, he does offer a lot on the back end. He can do a lot in most defenses. Obviously, I hope Detroit's going to be using him the right way. It looks like they're going to have a good secondary for the most part. Lost to Sean Elliott, pick up CJ Gardner-Johnson. Um, good move for them. I think their defense can be much improved, and I think they're going to go there with one of, if not both, their first-round picks at 6 and 18. Yeah, I mean, secondary got a lot better. Obviously, I mean, they, they, I mean, they paid Cam Sutton coming over from Pittsburgh, and I, I love that deal for them. I, I like Cam Sutton a lot. Um, young up and coming player. I thought it was a good deal for him. Good deal for, for Detroit as well. Um, I'll say this about Gardner Johnson. This tells me that, well, first of all, it's a terrible year for agents. Cause we're going to get to another move that I think is, was pushed by an agent that has totally blown up in this player's face as it usually seems to with this position. But going back to CJ Gardner Johnson, this tells me a couple of things like one, bad year for agents. Cause they grossly overestimated the market for their clients. Not just, CJ, but I mean, a lot of guys got screwed this year with way with agents way overestimating what the market would be for them. Number two, there's been this little bit of buzz about Brian Branch going later than expected. This points to that. This points to the NFL going, hey, we don't really value the nickel position as much. Great, you can play for us in nickel. I don't, and I, and I personally, I don't agree with this. I think, I think CJ Gardner Johnson's a great player. I think he's one of the best nickels in the league. I think it's an invaluable position to have because you look at guys like Justin Jefferson, who you can line him up wider than the numbers on one snap. And then literally the next snap, he could be five yards off of the tackle in the slot inside. Oh, he could be lined up inside the hashes. You're going to match him up with a linebacker or a safety. Good luck. You need a guy who can cover it and he'd be level in the slot unless you want to have a corner follow him inside, at which point you're going to leave a liability on the outside with a receiver who might just get run by. So I think it's a valuable position. I think there are teams that value it and some that don't. Clearly, the NFL did not value C.J. Gardner Johnson as a player, what his role was going to be. Um, surprised Philly didn't just bring him back for $8 million. Don't know if that kind of relationship was severed with the agent and um, you know, the front office, obviously, they, I mean, he, he had money on the table from the Eagles that was far better than this. So, um, and, and he's not the only guy like they're like Orlando Brown Jr. is a great example. Last week, we talked about him getting that, that contract, which I mean, he turned down what, like 30 something, 30 something million dollars more guaranteed to go right. 
to go to leave Kansas City. It's like because his agent was like, yeah, man, your market's way better. Like, nah, dude, your market was not better. It was far worse. So um, he was like, what, seven million annually, it felt like. So, I, yeah. you know, um, bad year for agents. We're going to touch on this even more with what I think is an even more egregious ask um, with the back end of this 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 segment before we close it out. But um, I'll get this right here. Former Patriots defenders Devin McCourty and Dante Hightower both retired. Um, obviously, pinnacles of that defense, um, kind of in the late Tom Brady era when they won a couple of those Super Bowls um, before he left uh, New England. Hightower was – he's kind of the last of a dying breed of linebacker, just these absolute brick houses that play linebacker. Like most of these guys are all super athletic freaks that are a little undersized. Like Deontay Hightower is one of the last dudes who was just looked like a, a cinder block playing linebacker. I mean, dude was huge. I mean, he was, he was super athletic, but he was huge. Um, so dying breed of linebacker. He was an always an awesome player. Um, very Bill Belichick player. Just very sound. Um, always not a lot of MAs for him. Then obviously Devin McCourty, um, vet of the game, pros pro. Does a lot of work with ESPN now, I believe. Him and his brother Jason. Um, it's either that or NFL. I think it's NFL Network, actually. Um, but I, they're both awesome, dude. They have a podcast. Um, they do really good stuff. They're really smart guys. Um, obviously, they've been in the league a long time, and both of them played at a high level. Um, but super smart guys. Really really easy to listen to talk. Um, I've listened to their podcast a couple of times. I'm a big fan myself. So um, those two guys finally retired, kind of unofficially retired a while back, I think, for both of them, uh, especially Hightower. But, again, both these guys call quits on on, on both incredible careers. Um Certainly all-time Patriot greats for sure on that defense, and um, especially for McCourty, um, just kind of the steady presence he was in the back end for, their, for that long. And um, two guys that, you know, Ch- Patriots fans. Um, did I say Chiefs a minute ago? I don't think so. I was reading Chiefs literally like right below Devin McCourty's name on our on our sheet here. Um, but Patriots greats, you know, modern modern era Patriots greats that, um, you know, fans remember for a long time and um, certainly appreciate Definitely. Yeah. Basically, those two guys, you know, one being a safety, one being a linebacker, both kind of did it all. Honestly, Uh, neither of them had defined roles. Both were pretty versatile across that defense that led to a lot of guys playing better than they should have on paper. Um, You know, Malcolm Butler being one of those guys. A couple others uh, that I'm missing, but definitely were really impactful to the guys around them and to. that defense as a whole. So they're really impressive overall. Um, you know, the defense was normally pretty good when Tom Brady was down as, you know, his final few years there in new England. Um, but moving along here, a couple more jets, uh, news pieces receiver related. So the jets signed former chiefs wide receiver, McCole Hardman to a one-year deal worth up to 6.5 million. I don't know what the base value is, but it's worth up to 6.5. You know, fine deal. Um, I thought he'd get probably closer to five total annually. Um, but unless the guy that can kind of run sweeps and do some gadget stuff for you. And then in a corresponding move, the Browns traded for the Jets wide receiver, Elijah Moore, and a 2023 third round pick, which is 74th overall this year. And then in return, to get that, Cleveland sent New York a 2023 second, uh, which is the 42nd overall pick. So moved up 30, 31 spots to acquire Elijah Moore, which is a good addition to Cleveland's wide receiver room with Amari Cooper. Obviously, there's still other holes across that offense, but I think mainly Elijah Moore is 
probably the best compliment on the market to what Amari Cooper does. No, I, I like the move for the Browns. It's obviously a good move to get a, a young, talented receiver on a cheap deal still. Um, where I think New York, I actually like what they've done. Um, you know, building this roster with Joe Douglas and, um, you know, Robert Sala. This was where I felt they dropped the ball was this receiver room. And I get adding that on Lazard. I do. I get it, you know, getting him in there for Rodgers. But at the same time, like, you drafted Elijah Moore. You drafted Denzel Mims. Both of those guys early uh, in 2020 and 2021. And then, you, I mean, rightfully so, you draft Garrett Wilson at 10 last year. And, and it's well worth the pick. I mean, the guy is a wide receiver one, poised to be a top 15, top 10 receiver next year. Obviously, won the Rookie of the Year award. Like he, he's awesome. He's a wide receiver one. But how do you fumble the bag this hard, dealing with the rest of the room? Where they bring in, um, you know, they they bring in Lazard, which is fine, and then they bring in Hardman. It's like, well, now the room's way too crowded. It was already crowded to begin with. Now it's even more crowded. So, um, yeah, obviously Corey Davis is still on the roster for next year. They cut Braxton Barrios, but that kind of was coming either way, I think, with the cap hit, the way they structured that extension they gave him a couple years ago. So, um, I think this is a great deal for the Browns. I mean, they get Elijah Moore, who was drafted in the second round. Who, or was he a first-round pick? No, he was a second-round pick. Yeah, he was um, second, I believe. But, but he's an awesome he's an awesome player. He's produced well when he's been on the field for them and gotten on the field for them. So um, they gave up a second, but they get a third in return. So good move. Um, for the Browns, and I guess good on the Jets for getting what they can for more, but um, you know, overall, I thought New York kind of fumbled the bag with the way they handled the receiver room, and obviously Hardman, a guy who never really became what the Chiefs wanted him to become, um, wasn't quite dynamic enough as a kind of as a ball carrier, um, you know, with the ball in his hands, and then after the catch as well, um, never really developed in that elite speed threat that they thought he'd be um, when they drafted him, but nonetheless, still, um, you know, a quality role player, and I think he's going to serve a, a really good purpose in New York. I um, mean, that offense and then um, getting to the move I was talking about earlier with with an agent, just totally misjudging um, a market for a player. His Chargers running back Austin Eckler um, requested a few weeks ago right before free agency and then was actually granted permission to seek a trade in hopes of getting a new contract. Um, two sides have been working on a deal basically since you know the season ended. They were working on trying to get an extension done um, to get him pay a little bit more. And um, I think he's making like just over six million next year, which again I think it's it's a bargain for a guy who scored twenty touchdowns last year, but um he's looking for like double that. So twelve million dollars, which is uh, we already saw Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, all three of those guys who were elite running backs making a lot of money, get their names thrown out in the trade and that kind of in the trade rumors. So it's like I'm not real sure where he thinks he's gonna get twelve million dollars from annually. I think the Chargers probably came to him with a deal maybe a little bit of a pay bump, but again, for a running back who's 20, I believe 28 years old, who's got, I want to say, if I look up right now, I didn't look before this. Um, if I had to go to his career stats, he's dude, he's got like, let's see, career has got 811 rushing attempts. And I believe he's well over a thousand touches. He may be, he's got 389 receptions He's over 1,200, 1,200 touches. Is actually he's at 1,200 exactly. If you count if you do receptions plus targets or receptions plus rushes, he's at 1,200, 1,200 touches in his career, not including punt returns that he did as a rookie. Um, this doesn't include preseason touches either. So, um, you know the guy in his what six years with the Chargers has played 16, 14, 
16, 10, 16, 17. So he's only missed more than a couple games in one season. So, um, you know, guy who's reliable, but at the same time, he's over 1,200 career touches, um, not getting any younger. I don't know if you can justify paying a running back like that. Um, so I, I don't know what his trade – no one's really gotten to the point where they want to trade for him. He's basically said, he's like, I'll just play out my contract and go from there if I, if I don't get traded. But um, the problem is I don't think – when you trade for him, you're, you're trading capital for him. And you have to give them a contract, which I don't think any team wants to do. I think they'd rather just take take their chances next year. Um, and frankly, I don't know what his value is. I've seen Chargers fans like, oh, we need to get a first for him. You're on drugs is my response to that. You're on drugs. Um, Derek Henry, Christian McCaffrey didn't get a first. He might be. I think he's the best running back in football. Just all around. He yeah. didn't get a first. You are on drugs if you think Austin Eckler is getting a first round pick. 20 touchdowns is great. Can we take away the touchdown scored within five yards of the, of, of, of the goal line, though? That's the one thing I'll caveat. And I, listen, I love Austin Eckler. He's been an awesome player for the Chargers. He's been awesome for the culture there. I will say, though, he was being massively overrated by fans when this happened. And again, he's a fan favorite player. It's an incredible story. A smaller guy, all that stuff. But it's like at the same time, you've got to understand the value of a player. It's a business at the same time, right? It's not just oh, I love this player, which is, and I agree, but at the same time, this is a business. You've got to be able to evaluate players through that lens and go, man, Austin Eckler at 28 years old at 1,200 career touches isn't worth $12 million. He's just not. So 20 touchdowns be damned. It's just not how that that, that market shakes out. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that they, that listen, if Bijan Robinson is there for 21, sprint the card in. Start over at running back next year. I mean, I wouldn't mind if they took Charbonnet in the second round. Wouldn't mind if they took a guy in the third round, like Bigsby or Roshan Johnson. So, you know, if they need another running back in that room, um, obviously we're going to talk about a guy. The guy you're going to talk about next is a guy I thought that they might have interest in, um, just with, you know, the familiar, familiarity with Kellen Moore, obviously. Saved a couple teams he wanted to go play for here. But um, Eckler looking for $12 million is crazy to me. Um I don't know what his trade value is. My guess is that it's about a third, like just a third or a full, like a high fourth. Um, but again, I don't know. Like if I'm a GM, I'm not. There's no like the Chargers are not going to send him to an AFC contender. And if I'm a team, I'm like, hey, I don't think Austin Eckler is the one piece I'm missing to make a run next year. Like the one piece I got to go move for. So I don't know. Um, and you got to try and pay him. So. Again, I'm not I'm not moving a third round pick for a one year rental at running back. That's the other thing. So I think the Chargers are better off just letting this play out and getting their comp pick for him if they let him walk. Yeah, I agree. Likely you're going to get a fourth rounder probably as a comp for Eckler if he were to walk in the 2024 offseason, which it seems like he will. But uh, another piece of running back news, not a signing, but former Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Earlier today, he named the three teams that he would like to play for next season. They are the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, division rival Philadelphia Eagles, and the New York Jets. Um, stated that he would like to have a deal done within the next couple of days by the end of the week. However, none of those three teams has re- have reached out to him. And really, other than the Eagles, the Bengals don't make sense because, because while Mixon does only have one more year on his contract, he is under contract. 
And the Jets definitely don't make sense because they have Brees Hall and Michael Carter, and which is one of the better running back rooms in the league. And, so, and they just re-signed Ty Johnson today, by the way. They brought Ty. He, they brought him back for a year. Yeah, so I, I mean, the Jets don't make sense. They have really good room. They don't need Zeke on whatever contract he wants. And it comes down to the Bengals and the Eagles. I don't know why the Bengals would make that move. It doesn't really make sense. Zeke's not your running back of the future. Um, neither is Mixon, but Mixon's under contract already um, on what's a pretty low number. And the Eagles do make sense, but I just don't think that's kind of the move they make. I mean, Zeke's going to be cheap. I, unless unless there's this crazy market for him that I'm just unaware of and that I'm just oblivious to, I think he's not going to get more than – I mean, the running back market was horrendous. I mean, Jamal Williams has scored eight – uh, I'm going to go to the touchdown thing. He's very productive in the red zone, which is not understated. Toward what, 18 touchdowns last year? 16 touchdowns? Got $3 million? Man, that's crazy. He's a, he's a good, he's a really good running back. Um, He's not, I don't think he's prime Zeke, obviously, but like he's a, he's a good fringe RB1 who runs with power. Great locker room guy, too. So, I mean, I think with Zeke, I, I actually think the Bengals do make sense for Zeke. Um, They lost Samaj Piran. They could use a second, like a power back, which is what kind of what Piran's a little bit better of a ball catcher, I think, but kind of provided that power for Mixon when he was off the field. Um, Zeke Smart and pass pro, which I'll give him that, which I think Piran did a great job of as well. So, I mean, again, he's not, I don't think he's getting a lot of money. The Bengals make sense if he wants to go try and contend for a Super Bowl. I also think the fit there works with, you know, he's not going to be an RB1, but he can be a legit RB2 or fringe RB1. Um, and then the Eagles, obviously, I mean, listen, if, he, if Zeke goes to the Eagles, whatever like the long shot bet is on him putting up a thousand yards or leading the league in touchdowns, I might throw money on it because guess what? He's gonna get goal line touches and he's it's gonna be the best offensive line of football. Last time Zeke had that, and granted it's a long time ago, and a lot of carries ago, but Zeke just didn't forget how to run the football. I'll give him that. He didn't just forget how to be a running back, especially if he gets goal line touches. I mean, you saw Miles Sanders put up like the what the quietest 1,200 yards last year. Right. I could see Zeke going for a grand. I, I mean, and a lot of that's contingent on Rashad Penny being healthy, which they which is an awesome move for them if he stays healthy. He's a such a good back. He's a great running back. He's young, not a lot of carries in his body. He's just got to stay healthy. But I mean, dude, I mean, if Zeke's the goal line back, I'm putting money on him leading the league in rushing touchdowns just because it's going to be a long shot bet. And if it hits, it hits. And I don't think it's totally out of their own possibility. But um, I, I agree on the Jets. The Jets make no sense to me. They've got Brees Hall as a legit RB1. Michael Carter is an awesome RB2, fringe RB1 on a lot of teams. And Ty Johnson's a really solid back, good special teamer. They love they love Ty Johnson there, by the way. Like they love him as a as a core special teamer in that running back room. They love Ty Johnson, so he's not going anywhere. Um so I get Bengals Eagles. There's there's gonna be more teams than just this um that kind of go into the mix. It wouldn't shock me if KC threw their name in, tried to throw their name in the ring just because I could see it with them. I, d- I don't think Edwards Alaire is going to get the fifth-year option picked up. Um, I could see them moving on from him, frankly, if if the opportunity presents itself. Um, I still think the Chargers could be in play for him, just, again, with the familiarity of, of Kellen Moore. But the thing about that is he's probably going to have to go carry, get a lot more touches and you know carrying the ball, and I don't know if he wants to do that. So I don't know what he wants. I don't know if he wants kind of like a timeshare running back. I'm not really sure, but um, – Curious that the Jets were in there to me. It didn't make a lot of sense, but nonetheless, they're there. Yeah, I just hope we, 
you know, get us there's in the next few days. It'll be fun, you know, little news piece to uh, kind of keep phase two of free agency going. Um, obviously, still a lot of moves that haven't been made, a lot of free agents available. I think we have Bobby Wagner, um, Odell, obviously, DJ Chark. Um, who else? I think there's more than just that. It's just late, late in the week. I, I, I don't, uh, don't off the top of my head, but it's going to be, we're going to, uh, I think, I think we're going to start seeing it cool off as we get to the draft. Like as we get close, and we see this every year, as we get closer and closer to the draft, we see less and less moves made because teams are going to go, Hey, we're just going to evaluate after the draft. Like I firmly believe like the Chargers signed Kyle Van Noy and Bryce Callahan after the draft, had they taken an edge rusher earlier or had they taken a corner earlier, they would have pivoted elsewhere. Just again, I go the Chargers gets an easy example for me, but like there's a lot of teams that make moves post post, you know, NFL draft. And there's guys that get cut after the draft. Like there are going to be teams that, that have a guy fall to him in the third round. They go, man, this guy is a really good player. We didn't think he'd be here. We're going to we're going to go. We're going to draft him. We're going to cut a guy in that same room. We're going to go sign somebody else. So at another position. So it's just, you know, the draft is um, you know, going to play an impact on the on this kind of the rest of the free agency pool. Again, I think as we get closer and closer to April 27th, we're going to start seeing these free agency transactions dwindle at a pretty, pretty sharp rate, I think. Um, I think it probably starts cooling off. I mean, it's already kind of cooled off, and I think we're going to maybe see a couple more moves here in the next couple weeks. And then I think – when you get mid mid April, um, you know, a couple weeks out from the draft is when you really see those moves taper off and teams kind of just are sitting are in sit and wait mode. Let's see how the draft goes. Let's reassess the roster afterwards. You know, again, you could have a guy fall to you in the seventh round or the fifth round. You go, man, this guy's awesome. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take him and he, you know to steal the draft and um, ends up being a guy you can play you know in a role from day one. So. Just, just a lot of everything's going to play out here. A, lo- a lot of teams, um, more than usual, it feels like there's a lot. Of, you know, there's obviously a lot of parity this year, and there's going to be next year. Um, but a lot of teams kind of set themselves up for like, hey, we're going to draft what we, what our board. We're just going to follow the board. We're not going to worry about positional holes. But we're just going to draft what we need. There's only a few teams that I feel like going to the draft this. They're going into the draft where it's like, man, glaring hole, glaring hole. Got to pick one of these two. Like the Steelers are a team that's like, man, they have to get a tackle. Or a corner round one, it's it's that or bust. There's a team like Detroit who's picking at six, who's who made really good moves on the front seven, made some good moves in the secondary. Go man, they can do whatever they want at six and eighteen. Now they could trade up, they could trade down, they can do whatever they can do whatever they so please. Brad Holmes can do whatever he wants, and I think that we've seen a lot of teams like that this year, where the GM is going to be able to get to sit there in the draft room on on April 27th and you know 29th, 28th as well. And go, man, we're going to do what we think is best for the team and not worry about positional, you know, needs. We're just going to go with the best player available. So obviously going to have an impact on free agency um, kind of as we as we get to the, the draft. And um going to be interesting to kind of see how this post-draft free agency wave kind of hits in that mid first week, second week of May. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, a big thing after May 1st, if a team does make a signing. Uh, doesn't count against the comp pick formula. Basically, um, you know, if they lost a player in the offseason, they can bring back 
anywhere from a third to a seventh round pick. And they sign a guy that was an unrestricted free agent that wasn't cut. They won't lose that pick for a corresponding move. So uh, I do think a lot of the guys like Jadavian Clowney, maybe Marcus Peters, um, you know, Julio Jones, Jarvis Landry, all guys that are still available. They probably won't sign until the first couple of days of May. Maybe a couple of them will, but for the most part, I don't think they will just because teams, like you said, are going to want to see what they have in the draft in their draft class, where their boards end up falling, um, stuff like that. So pretty much it. I do hope we get a couple pieces of news, um, you know, in the next week or so, but not nearly what it's what it was, um, you know, last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but with that, we'll wrap up the episode here with the ice bath. Uh, I'll kick it off real quick. So. The Big Ten, they have sent 17 teams to the NCAA tournament in the last two seasons. Yet with Michigan State losing tonight to Kansas State, um, none of them have advanced to the Elite Eight. So over the past two years, 17 teams, none have gotten past the Sweet 16. Um, Pretty surprising, but at the same time, when you look at Illinois and Iowa last year, other than that, no one really jumped off the screen as a serious contender. Um, Purdue. But they were shaky for some of the year. Um, they had a bad stretch, so you you never knew what they could have done in the tournament. Obviously, they're a one seed, but at the same time, they're shaky. Indiana was shaky, even though they were a six seed. Right. Even Purdue last year, though, was a two seed, and they lost to a right. fifteen. I mean, yeah. No, definitely. Um, they should have made it past the first round, but I don't know if they go to the elite eight just because of how dependent their roster was on. You know, Jaden Ivey or Zach Eady. Um, you know, 100%, 100%. Right. But a side note, um, Gonzaga UCLA are playing right now. They're at halftime. Gonzaga had 29 points in the first 10 minutes, and they have 46 at halftime. On, or UCLA had 29 halfway through and is up 46 to 33 on Gonzaga at halftime. So it looks like Gonzaga is going to advance to the lead eight. Obviously, don't know. Don't know yet, uh, but UConn and Gonzaga East keep switching them up. UConn, UCLA should be a fun matchup if UCLA does hold on. You know, um, Twitter Twitter was telling me that uh, Drew Timmy just couldn't keep up uh, defensively in the first half, and he was just getting – which, I mean, like I get it, like, right? Like, no, yeah, I mean, playing playing good ball, it's just like – Right. Defensively, they're, they it sounded like they were just trying to abuse him the whole time. It sounds like they kind of had their way with him, um, which which I get trying to go at him. He's expending a lot of energy on the offensive offensive end of the floor, so um, make him play a full you know full game of basketball. We're on a well rounded game, um, but the Tennessee FAU game's tight and going to the second half here um, should be good as that kind of closes out here in the next 30 minutes ish. But my ice bath before we get out of here. Um, Cincinnati wideout Tyler Scott uh, ran a 4-3-2-40 at his pro day today, which was much closer to his expected 40 time than the 4-4-4 he ran at the combine. Um, big track background, expected to run on the 4-3s. He ran on the low 4-3s. Um, kind of makes me curious to see where others, you know, uh, kind of believers like him fall um, at their pro days. Like I think Trey Palmer, another t- a Tennessee guy, ran a, a 4-3-2 as well today. So kind of followed up his combine with a great 40 time at his pro day. Curious to see what Jalen Hyatt runs on the 30th uh, a week from today at Tennessee's Pro Day. Um, should be interesting as well. And obviously, we're on Pro Day, Texas Tech's Pro Day, uh, in six days on the 29th, next Wednesday. Super excited for it. But, uh, yeah, that kind of wraps up the episode today. Anything you want to add before we get out of here? 
I don't think so. That's pretty much it for episode 43. Um, second edition of the Mock Draft Monday coming out this upcoming Monday. I don't know for sure when we're going to actually record it. Um, probably some point this weekend. Um, should be fun. Going to be another one-rounder, uh, this time with no trades. If you tuned in last week, we had three different trades. This time, there won't be any trades, so it's just going to be every team picking straight up where they're at. You know, whoever's on the board, you just got to decide from there. Um, you know, likely trades aren't a scenario in the first round. You normally always see, always see a couple, if not more. Um, but it's fun to do a few no trades mocks every now and then. So that's what uh, mock draft Monday 2.0 is going to be. No trades, 31 picks. Um, so yeah, stay tuned for that coming out probably Monday morning. Yeah. Um, other than that, that kind of wraps it up today, and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah, see y'all soon.